Hello and welcome once again to Football Unfocused, the um, the world's greatest podcast, let's face it. Um, I mean, you know, no one else is saying it, but if we say it often enough, then fucking hell it's true. Isn't that right, Matthew? That's going to, yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, the, the sort of... Hi. The, the, it's like the Donald Trump or something. You just will something into reality. You mm. just say it enough times. Like, if you just say the debt is falling or growth is growing. Brexit's working. That's yeah, the classic. You just, you just say, it, say it over and over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brexit means Brexit. Just say, say, say a slogan. <laughs> Did you know? Did you see the? Um, well, oh, by the way, this, just, this is Football Focus, hosted by Mark and Matthew. I'm Mark. Matthew's already talking, and uh, you know the rest. If you listen to this for the first time, <laughs> just listen to a previous episode and get the fucking blurb from that. <laughs> yeah, carry on. When, um, well, apparently the whole leveling up agenda um, mm. was established because Boris Johnson got so tired of just saying getting Brexit done. She just uh, came up with something else. So he just said, so they just gave him another slogan for him to say because he got tired yeah. of saying the other one. Um, I, I don't then... believe that for a second. It's our most, <laughs> you know, he's the most thoroughly decent and honest man ever to assume the office of prime minister, probably in the history of our country. Yeah. And it's a disgrace that he was deposed by backstabbers who didn't understand his genius and, you know, deprived the nation of another two or three years of the greatest leader we've ever had. Do you not agree with that, Matthew? Uh, I couldn't say. Couldn't Either possibly way. comment. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the highlights from the um, the NatCon NatCon conference uh, at the beginning of this week? Um, it's, so, what is it? National Conservatism mm. conference or something like that? It's not the Tory Party conference. It's a classic case. It's I find this sort of thing really interesting. It's like. This sort of shit goes on in America all the time. Like they have that one, mm. um, the, the, the tea party. The sort of, no, no, no. It's a, it's like an annual C-pack. Tory, yeah, CPAC, um, which is where all the really, really conservative forces all get together and they sit around in a room, uh, in a massive conference room, and for, spend about two or three days talking about how they hate everyone and you know isn't it great that they're right and god loves them and doesn't love everyone else um and we've kind of in this country that sort of thing has been um uh the preserve of the the real lunatic fringe <laughs> but the, the tory party in this country have gone so reactionary and so extreme that now it genuinely reflects the shit that they talk about um, at this NatCon, genuinely reflects front bench Tory party agenda, and the actual Home Secretary, the 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 this current serving Home Secretary, went and gave a speech, in which she basically talked about how it's not racist to hate immigrants and and want every you know want to stop anyone coming here, and uh, and then you know ranted for about twenty minutes <laughs> about about how you know the woke are destroying our country. And it's interesting that all, you know, I heard an excellent journalist observe um, yesterday in a piece of analysis saying that these people go on more than anything about loving the country, that how it's fine to be, you know, nationalism needs to make a return. They massively believe in free speech, but but above everything else, it's 
positivity about your country. Don't talk down your country. And yet they then go on to talk for the next sort of remainder of their, their speeches about all the things they hate about Britain. <laughs> and they all seem to agree about it. You know, literally everything. You know, they hate uh, the... Uh, the what they call the, the liberal elite and the the um, organs of education that are churning out all of these sort of progressive thinkers, blah 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 blah. <laughs> and you just think, well, isn't it, isn't it fascinating? This country that you are so intent on preserving in its current state, you you really seem to have a, more of a problem with it than uh, pretty much anyone else has. But but anyway, that that is now <laughs> the, the, the these fucking uh, uh, nut jobs who are destroying our country um, are now represented by uh, main, well, the increasingly mainstream um, uh, policy agenda that is churned out at a reactionary far-right conference like that. So long may it continue, Matthew. I'm just <laughs> delighted. I'm delighted they're our government and, you know, I'd hate for someone with progressive ideas and, um, and, uh, quest for social justice to get their hands on the tiller. That would be a disaster, <laughs> a disaster for our nation. And I'm just glad that, you know, a safe pair of hands uh, has been running the country. Which hands are currently running? It's, it's, it is genuinely difficult to remember because <laughs> we've had so many fucking prime ministers. But apparently at the moment it's this little fella who is sort of too scared to stand up to the big nasty ones on the right, even though he's really right wing himself. Um, so he just sort of ponces around, talks to everyone like he, like they're children, doesn't he? My sort of, oh, sort of patronising tone yeah, that, he, that he does all the time, and, <laughs> and this sort of faux excitement that he puts on and everything. Everything he's doing is so brilliant. Um, so that's good. I'm I'm glad they're they're in charge. Uh, but anyway, Matthew, we're not here to talk about politics. Uh, you know, <laughs> you sure? I'm not Alistair Campbell. You're not Rory Stewart, and uh, and neither of us are Emily Maitlis. That of that we are, we can be certain. Um, so we're going to start talking about football. But before that, uh, as ever, I want to introduce the world, the podcasting community, to the enigma that is your personality. Because you know, if, again, I, I I asked our listeners to go back to a previous episode and find out listen to the blurb and find out what we really are about. If you listen to any episode, you'll notice that I end up having to monologue the vast majority of our episodes, if not all of our episodes, because, you know, this is a football podcast. I try and keep up to date on a lot of things football and also quite passionate about football. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew, a little bit less so. Um, so I give him the opportunity to take the spotlight at the beginning of every episode by asking him some questions about everyday life. Matthew. Fuck. What Matthew? <laughs> what is your favourite thing about this time of year? Is this the question you were like? Oh, I'm so pleased with. I thought of this one. No, no, no. Is that one coming up? Um, yeah. I guess the the run of bank holidays is quite nice. We've we had like a that. few. Yeah, so that's nice. And did you like the additional bank holiday for the yeah. coronation of old sausage fingers? <laughs> Yeah, I was looking up. Yeah, I was. I was sort of reading the various um, uh, sort of conditions that some people have thought that he may have. Uh, the King Charles, that is King Charles the Third, that that mm. has resulted in him having larger fingers. Gout. It might be gout. I can't remember all of them, but yeah, definitely. And there's also another condition which it, which stops the water or fluids travelling around the body as they should and they store in the mm. ends. So 
so that's why he's got a lot of fluids in his fingers or something so yeah it could be a few things but mm. yeah so bank holidays and looking at the king's fingers i think i think the most likely um uh, cause of that condition is that he was uh, buggered by a butcher when he was young uh, that's was my that, theory hey. i'm sticking to it <laughs> prince charles i think that the sausage oh. dna got into his system oh right a, a passionate encounter with a butcher <laughs> matthew question two matthew when was the last time you had a good old stretch uh well you know you know i mean i'm quite into yoga or doing stretching but you're into yoga as well um i did yoga for about two or three months when the first lockdown happened uh, you were struggling and... to fit in three sessions i heard that was the issue you were doing two and no, then no, no. To do a third i was doing yoga. yoga i got into yoga because the lockdown occurred and in the 2021 and we had beautiful weather but at the time i had a calf injury so i couldn't run and the swimming pool was closed so i couldn't swim so that was the only thing i could do since i've been able to do other exercises again the yoga basically the, the yoga mats have been sitting in the corner for about two and a half years now untouched i've only just started using the better of the two mats because i'm now i now have a quite a severe achilles tendon injury for which i'm incapacitated and, and i'm at the moment uh, yes and embarking upon oh. a um a, a rehabilitation program uh, of strengthening uh and i'm wearing i'm wearing sort of wedges in my heels and i have to do these calf raises and all sorts of other shit with resistance oh. bands and stuff so anyway it's about you, Matthew, uh, stretching. Good, so, yes. And you say I, I know you do yoga, but firstly, oh. I didn't know that you were still doing that regularly. And secondly, our oh, listeners yeah, don't know. That's regularly. the key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so probably yesterday I did sort of 20-minute stretching. So I try and do it three, When you say times. stretching, that was yoga then, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, sort of down dogs and side. Do you plank. follow up? Uh, like a YouTube video or something? Yeah, or there, was, there was someone called Eckhart Yoga. And I used to follow a few of her sessions regularly. So I know I know a few of her sessions sort of by rates now. But yeah, I think I think as well, because I, I, was, I sort of think about this more, you know, I, I am wary that... <laughs> I remember listening to a comedian and he, and he had a much better turn of phrase than, than I can remember. But he basically said, you know, when you're getting old, when you have to like assess a situation before bending over and approaching it or something like that or like and and you know I see my mum who's in her 70s she she just won't bend I remember I gave her a present once and it was it was a hoover it was a uh like stand-up hoover and um she was struggling a romantic to present for your mum yeah and um she was sort of open... domestic chores come on and it get was... on that carpet <laughs> yeah exactly now get in my bed gonna clean itself <laughs> yeah. yeah um and uh, she was sort of struggling to open it standing up. And I think most people would probably think, okay, well, I'll, I'll put the, I'll lay the present down long ways and then, you know, get on my knees and open it up that way. But she just sort of knocked it over on the floor, like sort of patted it across. And uh, and then I think I had to open it in the end. So so I, I know where I'm heading in that sense. I'm getting worse. None of Sorry. us are resigned to a destiny that we cannot change, Matthew. You can, <laughs> you know, surely the whole point of view, did your mum do yoga throughout her adult life? No, no, I try and encourage you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe well, I'll no, she's fine. a prolific swimmer still to this day. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's competition level swimmer. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're I from know. good stock. 
<laughs> I know, like Prince Charles. We're talking about King Charles again, aren't we? Yeah, well, I mean, have you, what are your mum's fingers like? <laughs> are they in good nick? Yeah, yeah. Didn't think I'd ask that question today. <laughs> Is Matthew. that a fair question? No, sorry. <laughs> no. Question two, Matthew. No, that's a, no, number three now. Whatever. When was the last time you hired something? Oh, is this the question you were quite pleased with? No, this uh, there's a supplementary question coming oh, up. Oh, fuck. Mm, oh, God, that is really... Probably... Oh, maybe a car or a van. Well, How long ago are we talking? A few years. Because you yeah. stopped driving quite a while ago, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you realised that you were a danger been... to the human race. <laughs> yeah, when, when I, I probably hired it and then Joe drove it. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, probably a van. Because, you know, we're men of a certain age and obviously in our childhood and throughout our teenage years and even up to probably early to mid-20s, hiring was a bigger part of everyday life, wasn't it? You'd well, still we, go to a video, hire, hire a DVD, hire, yeah, hire a VHS, yeah, then yeah, hire yeah. a DVD slash Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gone now, aren't they? What about hiring a suit? Do you ever hire a suit? Um. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, so it would have been my. So I hired a suit for my brother. Matthew, do you ever hire a prostitute? I don't think you hire them, do you? You, no. you just pay them. <laughs> it is hiring because you're paying for their time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, hire a personal trainer, you know, or something. Yeah, so if you hire yeah. a personal trainer, then you hire a prostitute. Yeah, but again, I wouldn't say I hire a personal trainer, so. <laughs> no, good. Would you, what would you? What are you more likely? Just, just for future reference, I'll make a note of this. No, to do. Well, are you more likely to hire a, a prostitute or a personal trainer? Um, well, there's obviously absolutely nothing, you know, wrong with gigolos or prostitutes or. Didn't um, say there was. I'm, I'm just talking about you. Uh, but like, probably not now. So probably a personal trainer now. I think you're Joe more likely would. to go down a personal trainer. Right? Well, I what think. About, what about a personal trainer who's also a prostitute? Would you, yeah, you know, I remember just, once a, I bonus did, prostitute. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I remember I joined a gym and you got a free personal trainer session for the first sort of, you know, like a complimentary one. And the person was a uh, a stripper. A stripper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is that just because you recognised? Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Or did she actually say, "Oh"? You get a free session with me, and plus I'm a stripper. Yeah, yeah, and here's a complimentary drink from Spearmint Rhinos. Excellent, good, <laughs> good. Final question. Matthew, can Magnus Court uh, win the Giro, do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, he's currently in the lead, isn't he? No, he's Garrett Thomas. Oh, Ger- as of when? Yesterday? Yeah, since uh, Remco yeah. pulled out. Yeah, and what do you think about uh, Tao uh, Gegenhart uh, crashing out as well? Yeah, I didn't quite bad, didn't it? It did, I did, yeah. I sort of try and follow it, it's quite tricky to know exactly what's going on, uh, when you're working as well. But it sounds you've like you've got Eurosport, haven't you, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, for that, I've got a month's pass so I can watch it. But it sounds like he might have broken his leg or his hip or something. It sounds really yeah. like his pelvis. Well, he won't, he won't nasty. be in the um tour either, then, will no, he? Oh, it's nasty, it's, it's seriously nasty. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it's nasty, nasty. It, you can get in some real bad crashing. I mean, obviously, it sounds so obvious, but well, I mean, yeah, we won't get too personal, no. but we, yeah, we, 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 you know, it about can that, be a that precarious pursuit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know what I've just done there? The reason I asked you that question is just to demonstrate, you know, <laughs> I don't do a cycling podcast, but I know you're really into cycling. Uh, so what I did is just a little bit of research, made sure I knew what was going on in the Giro. Oh, it really right. is that fucking easy. Yeah, That's yeah, all it yeah. takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you did it wrong because um, Garrett Thomas isn't winning. It, uh, sorry, uh, Magnus Court isn't winning. He won the stage yesterday. That's what yeah, he... I didn't keep up yesterday. I, 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 no, no, Magnus Court was in the lead, wasn't he? No. Oh, <laughs> See? Okay. Well, whatever. It's harder but, than it looks. Yeah, but you... But, <laughs> If I'd gone into a cycling podcast with that information, then you'd have pointed out the error, and then that would have provoked a conversation. Then, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But there you go. That's how fucking simple Britain, it is. You know, Britain all you have to do is part. glance at the BBC uh, <laughs> website. Uh, we actually have some breaking news. This has never happened. I mean, by the time this is released, because oh. we're having to do this on Wednesday this week for transparency, we normally do it on a Thursday, but because Matthew is, uh, I don't know what he's doing, probably hiring another prostitute but, uh, uh, for the next couple of days. Uh, you know, this will be out of date by the time um, it goes out. But uh, Brentford, uh, t- uh, Brentford striker Ivan Tony has just been suspended for eight months for breaking the FA's betting rules. So that is that is big news. That is big news. Um, so I mean, he's like can't... second or third top scorer in the Premier League. And he's just right. been banned for eight months. So you just can't place for England. bet. Oh, right. No, 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 no. You can't, no, can't, you can't... bet anything. No. Or you just can't bet in your own team. You can't. No, no. You can't bet. If you're a professional footballer, you can't bet on any football. Certainly not any football in the same country that you play in. I don't know whether you're allowed to bet on um, overseas football, but you can't bet on any football that you could have, that you could have any influence over. So I believe that these breaches of the betting um, came before he was a sort of Premier League player, but it's it's a lot of them. There's 262 breaches between February 2017 and January 2021. 30 of the charges uh, were withdrawn, but he admitted to the remaining 232. <laughs> He's been fined 30 grand, sorry, 50 grand, and warned on his future con- uh, conduct. So, I mean, eight months, man. I don't know whether that's from now, because obviously a couple of those months will get eaten up by uh, the pre-season, but that will basically rule out the rest of this calendar year, won't it? There are what eight, well seven, uh, seven and a half months left, aren't there, of this year? So, and so it's before. It. So it was before he became a Premier League player, but he was a, a professional football player. Yeah, Joey Barton got done a few years back. Went before he retired and became a uh, a manager. Um, on sort of a similar basis, you can't because the football community, just like any, you know any sport, is you know relatively small. As an industry, it's small, isn't it? Because very few people make it as a um, professional footballer. So you could conceivably have, even if you're not playing in that same division, you could have influence. There's, there's probably someone at most clubs who you have had some sort of exposure to over the course of your career, be it in, in it's just a bloody physio, reserve team player, whatever, goalkeeper, you know, third choice goalkeeper who just moves around a lot. So, it, you know, the ability to influence and affect um uh you know every single professional football club in the country. I don't know whether it also applies to non-league maybe it does but you can you can totally understand why um why it's frowned upon because you know the worst thing really that can happen in any sport is uh 
corruption because you lose all credibility. Look, you know, go back to cycling. Look what happened from what was it, 90, 98, 99 till around 2005, six with Lance Armstrong. Like those, those tours are just sort of dismissed, aren't they now? Even the people who have been retrospectively awarded them were probably also drug cheats. So uh, once there's a suggestion of cheating, then it kind of undermines the whole thing. And, you know, football is the most betted on spot. I think, it, you know, worldwide, it's betted on even more than horse racing. So, and, and, and because the, the betting market is genuinely global, there are people all over the world just betting on like random fixtures. And because English football, even, you know, all four divisions, even the National League of English football is sort of high profile and, and um, better paid than the vast majority of leagues in the world, it's probably harder to get to, but like, you know, you'll see dodgy betting patterns, for example, suddenly everyone's betting on like the Latvian second division or something like that. Um, and I know people, you know, the, um, the regulators keep a close eye on that sort of thing. Um, but it's, you know, that's where the money is. The, the betting industry is worth hundreds and hundreds of billions of pounds, dollars, whatever. So it's, they have to come down on people like a ton of bricks, but Wow. It's a shame for Ivan Tony. Got a lot of time for Ivan Tony. Be interesting to know whether he because his form's been amazing, especially the second half of this season, whether he whether he had a heads up because obviously he'll have spoken to his lawyers and stuff, whether he had a heads up that this was likely to be the level of punishment. Um but that, you know, oh dear. He's just broken through in the England squad as well. But anyway, we'll park that. That will obviously, you know, we're literally, that has literally just popped up on my phone. So that will obviously get analysed far more eloquently over the next few days before this podcast comes out. Um, but my initial um, thoughts are it's just a shame because he's a good player. And I think he's genuinely a, I think I spoke last week about when we we're talking about the Leicester team that won the league in 2016. And I was saying how it's, it's relatively rare in modern football because of the prevalence of the academy system and the way in which players are, you know, the, the, the transfer market is global and elite players are brought from all over the world. So the very best sort of extra topic is quite, quite rare, certainly more rare than it used to be for a player to kind of do their time in the lower leagues and then come up and make a big impact in the Premier League, um, like Jamie Vardy did, for example. And I think, you know, Ivan Tony's a, a sort of similar uh, case. So, shame. But hey, maybe it'll get overturned on appeal. Who who knows? Um, but anyway, Matthew, but if you had to been... accepted the charges, yeah, but I don't know whether if you accept the charges, whether that means that you can't appeal the severity of the punishment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like if you admit to killing someone, whoa, then... whoa, whoa! I... I'm getting life. Oh, actually, no, I, no, I'll back... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take it back. I don't. I don't. I, I appeal. I don't. Well, I suppose you would then you would then maybe appeal on the basis that you pleaded guilty and you accepted and showed contrition and all that sort. Of... Mind you, I suppose that's the case you make before the judge presides over it, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, look, can I can I check if I did say guilty? How long you <laughs> yeah. did me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is it worth the risk of me kind of just holding back a bit and seeing just, just seeing what the jury it. think? Yeah. Well, you know, next time you kill someone, Matthew. Uh, then uh, you know, give it a go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's worked for you so far. Um, so football over the last week has been very, very interesting. Again, this really has been a hell of a season. Title race is now over. I th- I spoke 
um, relatively extensively last week about Brighton. And again, I'm going to make the point um, when it comes to Arsenal that I'm not interested in um, having a, a, a tired and cliched and inaccurate and unfair conversation about them bottling it, blowing it, whatever, because that is, I think, so, so unfair when you're up against a formidable and relentless opponent like Man City. Um, and anyone who just gets in a title race with Man City, regardless of whether at some point in the season they had um, a point, a significant points advantage, you're going to get hunted down because they're they're incredible. And Brighton uh, went to Arsenal on Sunday and were um, absolutely incredible. They are such a fucking good team. That like so good that that when they lost Graham Potter, or was it back in the autumn? Um, I think a lot of people would have quite rightly, you know, feared for them because they had, as it appeared at the time, kind of overextended and overachieved for the last sort of couple of years. They'd gone from sort of getting promoted and playing a very functional, some might say dull football uh, under Chris Hewton, surviving in the Premier League for a couple of seasons, then thinking, right, okay, well done. Thanks for everything you've done, Chris, but we want to kind of be a little bit more progressive and interesting now. So getting in a genuinely uh, innovative uh, coach, an English coach, but who who had done really, really well by going and testing himself in uh, Scandinavia um, and actually started out, I believe, coaching Bath University and getting them to like the FA Cup second round or something. So anyway, but Pot- and Potter himself had had a, like a, you know, fairly uh, unremarkable professional career, but did play at the top level for Southampton. But anyway, his... Uh, what did he do? Two or three years at Brighton. Um, even though during that time they did have some really strange, sporadic spells of form where they would like win seven in ten and then not win for twelve matches. But again, com- he he completely transformed the style of play, the profile of player, um, and Brighton have, have during that time and since then just been such an amazing team to watch. And this guy Roberto De Zerbi who came in. Uh, I believe he's Italian, used to play for Napoli, has just again, just taken them to just another level. Their intensity is ridiculous. I've, I've been listening to and, and reading quite a few interviews from Brighton players uh, this week about what it's like to play under him. And he just sounds like, I mean, I think I, I genuinely think he's he's a manager who's sort of heading for the top. Um, I don't really like saying that sort of thing because I think it's harsh on the club that he's currently managing. But clearly... You know, unless he wins the Champions League uh, with with Brighton, uh, I think he'll, he'll probably do one more season with Brighton, and then, uh, assuming it carries on, you know, it carries on his current trajectory, then he'll, he's he's destined for some really big stuff. And but what people say about him is he he re- literally can do sort of every facet of management. In that he's really good at the the one on one sort of people stuff. He makes all the players just feel completely included and motivated and wanted, even the ones who aren't playing, which is probably the biggest challenge of any modern coach. You know, you're dealing with a squad of 25 or 30 players and more aren't getting in the team than are. So you've got, just by definition, you've got a lot of, more than 50% of your workforce are unhappy because every footballer thinks that they should be in the starting 11. Um, And he's amazing at dealing with that. He's managed to get every ounce out of players. And a lot of them, actually, they're not new signings. They're people who weren't even getting picked by Graham Potter. And they're Lewis Dunk, 
who is a central defender for Brighton at the moment. I believe, I don't know over what period of time this is, but uh, it might even be one of those statistics that was just based on last weekend, but I, I think it is longer than that. Um, has the most touches of the football of any player in the top five European leagues. He's a Brighton central defender. That tells you everything about the way that Brighton play because he essentially, Brighton is so confident and he's so technically good for a central defender. They're prepared to just leave him on the ball and fly off at all angles. And he, he's accurate sort of crossing. He'll smash one across the field or, you know, just chip over the central midfield and find a, an attacking progressive player. They've got so many athletic, young South American players who they just seem to pull out of nowhere. But it doesn't happen by accident. They've got, they're so smart. They've got their chairman, Tony Bloom, who really is responsible for just completely transforming uh, the club, getting them a new stadium and everything and putting them on an a complete different footing for sort of, you know, after 20 odd years of just going nowhere and having, you know, being practically homeless. Um, and they now scout extensively from uh, places like Ecuador uh, and uh, Bolivia and Venezuela and, 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 and Colombia. And it's just amazing. They just bring these, they clearly have a strategy of a profile of player and they put experts who are, uh, ingrained within that sort of local football market who obviously speak the language and can then pick up the players, form relationships with their, the clubs to recruit from, the families of the players, etc. And as a result, they've got this conveyor belt. So they're always, you know, most clubs like that would be hugely compromised if then they lost a couple of their star players. But their business model, similar to how Southampton were a few years ago, but I think better, their business model accepts that they're going to lose some people and then has a contingency, you know, they're, they're two, three, four steps ahead already. So they'll probably lose Moises Casado and Alexis McAllister uh, this summer, if not more, for probably for some big money. But they've already got players uh, coming in and also players within the club that can sort of do the job that those players do. It's unbelievable. So much respect uh, should go to them. And I think it would be fantastic if they... Um, if they manage to get a Europa League, I mean, you know, Conference League would be amazing. But if they manage to get a Europa League spot, which at the moment they should do, I think they're sitting in a sixth spot with a couple of games in hand. So they've got more games to play than anyone else. And they could do Liverpool a massive favour by uh, beating Newcastle. But even if they don't, you know, f- you know, fair play to Brighton and um, difficult club to dislike unless you support Crystal Palace, I guess. Um, but anyway... They beat Arsenal fair and square. They went and sort of properly did a job on them, played them off the park. Um, but Arsenal are going to finish second. When you compare that to the the end of last season when they had everything in, in their hands to get in the top four and they just completely bottled it. And that really was a bottle job. They went to pieces. Whereas this season, I think maybe they've got a... They don't have the, the squad depth that Manchester City have. And they've just been a little bit... Um, found a little bit short towards the end. But... Is every reason, I suppose, to be optimistic for them. I think the biggest challenge they're going to have next season is that probably the other clubs around them are going to continue to um, get stronger. Theoretically, Liverpool won't have as poor a season as they have this season, so might be kind of back in the mix a little bit. Um, so, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea. I suppose, I mean, they do have Tottenham's uh, greatest ever manager, Richard Pochettino, who hates Chelsea, uh, who's now the Chelsea manager. 
Um, how do you feel about that, by the way, Matthew? I mean, I know you're such a passionate Spurs fan. Does that <laughs> feel good, having your hero as the Chelsea manager? Um, well, he obviously likes London. Um, yeah. That's probably what so, I took from that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> he likes London. That's what I took from well, that. I don't want What to about the fact more. that when he was Tottenham manager, his time at Tottenham... Obviously, it's not entirely defined by this, but some some of the real standout moments were intense battles with Chelsea that were sort of full of vitriol and acrimony. And, you know, I believe in there are some interviews that he did sort of post-match or whatever in between fixtures where he sort of said some really quite critical things about them uh, as a club. And he, he's, the, 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 the rivalry between Spurs and Chelsea during Pochettino's time uh, managing Spurs really did ramp up, and now he's he's on the other side. Do you have the view that you know? Yeah, you have to just take the job, whatever job you're offered, and Chelsea's a big job. Or do yeah. you feel disappointed that you know well, he didn't have I more? T- I mean, I'd, I'd ask I the question: Why think, the fuck Tottenham I, haven't gone back to try and get him back? Yeah, but I think we spoke about that. I, I think because there was a sense that possibly going back to Pochettino uh, wasn't. You love him so much, you can't even pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't wouldn't have been necessarily the best direction to go in. Um, so that's probably where I'm. Yeah, but quite is that is that just based on? Him. Yeah, but hold on, is that not just based on the fear that it wouldn't be the same second time round? Is that literally all that's based on? Yeah, yeah. But why not? I mean, you know, Carlo Ancelotti is currently managing Real Madrid for the second time, and they're European champions. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Well, maybe, yeah, we should get maybe Ancelotti then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll definitely leave. He'll definitely leave Real Madrid. Who knows who's going to end up being Spurs manager because they've done this thing as well. That they, I don't want to be oh, critical because, I, you know, yeah. I, 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 I actually quite like Spurs. Um, I have no problem with any of the uh, London clubs um, apart from Chelsea, sorry. Um, but, uh, I think what Tottenham have done with Julian Nagelsmann is so transparent in that they've they've gone for a you know a guy who is one of the brightest young coaches in European football and has just lost a really harshly I think lost the Bayern Munich uh, job and his career has just been on like a non-stop upward trajectory and his next move is obviously going to be big for him because he's you know he's gone from uh, uh, Hoffenheim to to Bayern Munich and. You know, it's difficult to go up from Bayern Munich. There aren't many, but you know, maybe a bit of a sideways move would be okay. I'm not sure you could argue. Even the most passionate Spurs fan could argue that Tottenham are a sideways move from from Bayern Munich. So uh, it was always, in my opinion, going to be a tough ask to get someone like him with his ambition to accept the constraints of managing under a Daniel Levy regime. But what Spurs have done. Uh, similar to what Liverpool have done with Jude Bellingham, uh, where Liverpool sort of controversially announced a few weeks ago, oh, everyone thinks we're going to sign Jude Bellingham. I'm going to tell you now, we're not signing Jude Bellingham. As if it was our choice in the first place. And I think the reason that we're not is because we just would never pay that sort of money for one player, because that would be our entire summer transfer budget gone. And similarly, I just don't think there was much prospect that Julian Nagelsmann would have ever taken that job. But Tottenham clearly want to own the narrative. So they've just gone on the front foot and said, oh, yeah, Nagelsmann is never getting this job. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, well, yeah, OK, OK. Ryan Mason it is then. I mean, yeah. who knows? Who knows? But um, but uh, just 
I suppose one more thing uh, I did want to uh, mention was that we spoke quite extensively about Leicester uh, last week, and I said I feared that they're going to be in real big trouble. They seem determined to get relegation. We've now we're now a couple of days after the, the Monday night match between uh, between them and, and Liverpool, and I've rarely seen a team that looks so certain to go down. And so it really is going to happen. And I think the only way Leicester can stay up now, they have to win their last two matches against Newcastle and West Ham. But even then, it might not be enough. Um, it's not inconceivable they could win both matches, but it, that, it's that or nothing now. And it is, it is incredible that a team that won the league seven years ago, won the FA Cup two years ago, finished fifth and fifth, in 2020, 2021, last season finished eighth and were really disappointed with that. Missed out on European football for the first time in a while. And then have just disintegrated, completely disintegrated. But I suppose you could see the writing on the wall last summer. They let experienced quality players go like Cashbush Michael. Sometimes I think when you're not when you're not involved personally in professional football, you can look at players coming and going and just think about their attributes on the pitch. But you need to, just like any workplace, sometimes if you take a a certain personality away from a workplace, the effectiveness of that organisation can be hugely compromised if someone who's fundamental to the way things are done and their success is just removed. And like Kasper Schmeichel had been there for absolutely everything, you know, just a complete mainstay of all the, the, the rise of Leicester City. And he was just, he just weirdly just went out the door to go and play in France. And they never really, they never brought a goalkeeper. They were the only club in the top five European leagues last summer not to buy a single player uh, they scrapped around in January and brought in a couple of lads who've kind of done alright but they've just lost all momentum but it is it is mad that they're going to go down and I suppose you know their funding is based upon um, the you know the King Power who um, the stadium is named after the King Power they, they, it's like a duty free empire and they were really hit by the pandemic. Uh, and I think that that financial shock is why they didn't make any money available for, for the club last summer. And it, it's, it's a really, really brutal reminder that in, in modern football, you, you, there's, you cannot coast. If you take your afterball for a second, it's so competitive. And the stakes are so high and the standards are so high that if you just take 2 3% out of your intensity then it 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 spreads and other clubs just just overtake you and but they look they really look like quite a sort of a, a, a quite a gutless lot that's maybe being a bit harsh but you know that their confidence is just completely gone i personally will be really sad uh, to see them go down but you know again what another point i made the only reason i keep referring by the way to things i said last week is because i listened just just so um <laughs> just so I knew what we banged on about. I actually listened to the episode about two hours ago. Um, and I said about how weirdly so many clubs seem to have their sort of natural setting. And even if they step away from that and start have a, a spell of sort of um, uh, unprecedented success, that they, you know, quite depressingly really, seem to just sort of fall back to the bottom of the tank uh, eventually, unless you're like Man City or Newcastle, or a nation state funded. And that really does seem, you know, Leicester are, you know, historically a club that are kind of lower top division, upper second division. And that, that seems to be what they're going back to. But there you go. And it does look like probably uh, them and Leeds are going to join join Southampton. So that's, that's three pretty, you know, 
decent established Premier League clubs that are all uh, likely to go down. Uh, one last thing before I finish. Champions League, right? So, last night Inter Milan beat AC Milan. Absolutely comprehensive win over two legs. I'm personally delighted. I've always preferred Inter to AC Milan, mostly because of uh, the fascist Silvio Berlusconi's involvement uh, at AC Milan throughout the 90s and 2000s. And I just feel that that taints the club. And I've always I've always admired Inter. Uh, if only for the involvement of um, Javier Zanetti, one of my favourite players of all time, who's still, I think, involved at an administrative level. I think he's vice president or something. But... <laughs> Tonight, so tonight is the second semi-final between Man City and Real Madrid, and and you ca- you can't help but conclude whoever wins that is going to win the Champions League because I watched both legs of that Milan derby, and it was incredible in terms of like the passion and the intensity and the you know the will to win, but there were a lot of errors that would have been punished by better quality opposition, and you look at who Inter have had to beat to get there. I think they beat. Porto and Benfica, two Portuguese teams in consecutive rounds, and then their city rivals. Whereas if Man City get to the final, they've they've they'll have had to they'll have had to beat Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. So it was a very lopsided Champions League draw this year that from the knockout stages onwards provided a um a route, a realistic route to the final for anyone in that sort of uh, AC Milan into Milan side and a really tough route for anyone on the Real Madrid. I, I believe Spurs actually were on the uh, AC Milan into Milan uh, route to the final. So I'm amazed, I'm aghast that they're not on their way to Istanbul for the 10th of June. You, you got any explanation for that, Matthew? Uh, not right now. No, have a little think about it. Maybe we can <laughs> we can analyse that in next week's one, uh, along with an update on the uh, Giro d'Italia. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, on on that uh, unconvincing bombshell, uh, that's it for a, for another week. So by this time next week, I'd imagine uh, all probably at least two out of three uh, releg- teams will have um, been relegated from the Premier League, and Manchester City will be champions. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Real Madrid are gonna be in the Champions League final. I think they're gonna I just got Finn they're gonna do a number on City tonight. But I'm probably gonna be wrong. That's the basis <laughs> of predictions, isn't it? Isn't it exciting? So anyway, goodbye for another week from Football Unfocused. See you next time.